This is Michaela. Welcome back to my conversation at Lactation Station. I have a couple of things I want to talk about before we get started. And the first thing is this week is my first week of giveaways. And I have some really cool stuff to give away over the next couple of weeks. Some supplements, some t-shirts, you know, just some really cool stuff. And if you go to the website, lactationstation2020.com and subscribe, once I have your email address, then I will be drawing from the pool of emails. The lucky winner will be announced at the end of the podcast. So this week I have a leather bound tree of life journal made by Peter Popper Press. Oh, that's a mouthful. It's absolutely gorgeous with an engraved um, tree of life on the front of it. It has acid free paper. All the sheets are lined. It's got a bookmark, a pocket in the back. I mean, it's a really nice journal. You can use that to track your inducing journey or, you know, whatever you want to use it for. And then I also have Earth Mama Organic Milkmaid Tea. It's, I haven't tried it. I know that it ha- it does have fenugreek in it and fennel, milk thistle, uh, stinging nettle, you know, just a, a bunch of different herbs that are good for lactation. They help support breast and milk production. It's 100% organic, it's non-GMO, and it's USDA certified organic. So it's a really good product for you to try. So those are the giveaways for this week, and I'll announce the winner at the end of the podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about breast-related problems. You know, there are many issues that people encounter while suckling or breastfeeding that can easily be prevented by self-care measures and education. When you know how the body works, you're at less risk for frustration and failure. Breasts are a part of a woman's internalized body image. The breast represents a woman's deep sense of womanhood. Any changes in the breast can threaten the feminine internal view of self and create disequilibrium. And this goes for all women, natural born women as well as transgender women. Your breasts are just such a part of being a woman. So let's first talk about nipples. First, inverted or flat nipples. There are three types of inverted nipples. Grade one is an inverted nipple that can be easily pulled out and stays out. Grade two can be manually everted or pulled out, not as easily as grade one, and it tends to retract. But a lot of times, um, if you have an inverted grade two nipple, you can use a pump to pull it out and then, you know, have your suckling session or whatever it is that you're going to do, or just use the pump. Grade three, this type of nipple is severely inverted and it's very difficult not only to pull out, but it promptly retracts. And the degree to which inverted nipples are an impediment to suckling reflects the belief that they will prevent suckling, which they won't. I mean, sometimes you just have to work a little harder. You know, how the nipple looks when not in a mouth does not always reflect how it works. During suckling, the nipple elongates to double its resting length. So if you can get the inverted nipple out and start a suckling session, then that nipple will, you know, continue to stay out during the session. If inverted nipples are an issue, you can massage and stimulate the nipple before suckling. Like I said, you can use a pump that will pull it out. It can help, you know, all the massaging and stuff will help pull the nipple out and help with latch on. So if you have a partner, just have him or her spend a few minutes on nipple stimulation. (laughs) I really don't think they'll mind. 
or use a pump before a session and that should get your nipple ready. Then there's long or elongated nipples. Nipples come in all shapes and sizes. Some clinicians have reported that Asian women are more likely to have long nipples, but generally nipples that are larger or longer than average are less likely to cause issues in suckling than our inverted or flat nipples. However, having said that, if you have unusually long nipples, you have to be careful there too. You don't want a shallow latch, a bad latch, or you know someone gagging because the nipple length is too long. So it's workable. You just have to you know figure out a way around it. There have been it's very rare, but I think there's only I read two case studies about duct pore openings on the nipple that were absent. In one case, the mother's right breast became unusually large during pregnancy. And then following her delivery, because her milk came in, she became severely engorged but was unable to express anything. They ended up having to do an ultrasound, which revealed that there were no nipple pores, no ducts leading from the nipple to the larger ducts. Like I said, those cases are very rare. I only read two case studies. But if for some reason you're getting engorged on one side and absolutely nothing's coming out, I mean nothing, you know, not even a drip, then maybe that's something that you need to have looked at. Really don't think that would be the case, but you, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry. Since we're talking about ducks and nipples, I think it's really important to talk about plug ducks. No one really knows the cause of plug ducks, but they are mostly found in women who have abundant milk supply and who do not adequately drain each breast. Changes in the breast that causes the plugs are sometimes referred to in literature as stasis, clogging of milk or local accumulation of milk, or even dead cells that have been shed. You know, so there are several different reasons for a clogged duct, duct, but none of them are definitive. Nobody knows exactly for sure. You know, these are the things that are happening. There are two sets of symptoms for plugged ducts. Complaints of tenderness, heat, and possible redness in one area of the breast. Or if the plug is located in a duct close to the skin, you could, there'll be a well-defined lump that can be felt. And that usually there won't be a fever. You'll just feel the lump. Occasionally, a tiny white milk plug can be seen at the opening of the duct on the nipple. Incomplete drainage caused by skipping sessions, constricting bras, poor nutrition, and stress have all been implicated in the development of plug ducts, but a cause and effect has never been actually discovered. It has been observed that the frequency of plug ducts increases during the winter. That's weird. There is also some evidence that shows some women are predisposed to developing plug ducts and some women who never have an issue. You know, it's hit and miss. Just be sure you empty your breasts. You know, try not to wear, if your bra is starting to get too tight, then, you know, you need to go up a cup size. Plug ducts can also lead to mastitis, especially if ignored or left untreated. So I have a small list of a few things you can do. First and foremost, continue suckling or pumping sessions. Begin pumping or suckling on the affected breast to promote drainage. Massage breasts before and during sessions to help stimulate flow of milk. 
Support the breast with a cupped hand and use a firm massage starting at the outer limits of the breast. Try to use your thumb as you have your breast cupped. Try to use your thumb to rub along the breast to encourage the flow of milk. Another option is to massage in the shower. And if I have to go in between sessions with my partner, if he's at work or I can't see him, a lot of times that's my answer. A hot shower always works for me. You can use the Hakai and warm salt water, or alternately, you can soak the affected breast by leaning over a basin with warm water and massage the breast. Avoid any restrictive clothing, such as an underwire bra or a bra that's too tight. And my last suggestion is lecithin. 1600 milligrams daily is recommended for alleviation and prevention of clogged ducts especially for people who have reoccurring problems. If you have reoccurring problems with a clogged duct, then you should probably be taking lecithin every day. So let's move on to engorgement. Engorgement is often a confusing term that is applied to any type of breast fullness, including edema, milk stasis, or both. Normal onset of lactogenesis 2. Well, wait, what is lactogenesis 2? Very quickly, the transition from pregnancy to lactation is called lactogenesis. The developing capacity of the mammary glands to secrete milk from mid-pregnancy to late pregnancy is called lactogenesis stage one. So the onset of uh, copious milk secretions, large, you know, when your milk comes in after birth is called lactogenesis stage two. So most of us that are inducing, obviously we're not going through pregnancy so a lot of the terms aren't going to apply but once your milk comes in and you have good milk flow you're in lactogenesis stage two so okay so back to engorgement milk stasis or the breast milk retention is extremely uncomfortable and i'm going to just go out on a limb here and say that most women have felt that that really full you know your breasts ache maybe your nipples hurt and you just need to get that fluid out so it's a really uncomfortable fullness and that can occur at any time during lactation especially when excessive milk remains in the breast and it causes dis distension of the alveoli and distortion of the individual cells milk stasis is caused by ineffective and or infrequent removal of milk from the breast resulting in over fullness so if you, you know, if you are, um, if you have a session in the morning, say, and then another session in the evening, and you're not doing the, anything in between, then you you have milk stasis. The milk is staying in the breast and pooling in the ducts. Given the milk storage capacity of the breast, it's variable. Some breasts will reach an overfull distended state more quickly than others. Okay, let's talk a little bit about mastitis. Lactation mastitis is an inflammation or infection of the breast. And sometimes you'll have symptoms like a wedge-shaped area of the breast that's tender, hot, and swollen, a fever, usually 101 or higher, chills, and flu-like symptoms. Mastitis is usually a benign condition with few consequences for your suckling partner. So if you, and it's really key that if you do have mastitis or you think you do, uh, you still need to pump or uh, let your partner suckle 
you know, all those things that you normally would do. And it's uncomfortable and it hurts, but it's really important that you continue to do that. The initial symptoms are fatigue, localized breast tenderness, headache, and flu-like muscle aches. If you are a lactating woman or anybody, if you're lactating and you complain of flu-like symptoms, the first step is to rule out mastitis. Typically fever, a rapid pulse, and the appearance of the hot, reddened, tender area in the breast follow the fatigue, headache, and the aching. Mastitis is unilateral and located in one area. By unilateral, if you don't know what that means, that means that it's just usually in one breast. It doesn't, whereas engorgement will um, can affect both breasts, mastitis usually only affects one breast. And it's usually only located in one area, usually in the upper outer breast because most of the breast tissue is there. It can occasionally occur in both breasts simultaneously and can also involve a larger portion of the breast. Symptoms usually last approximately two to five days. Breast pain and redness peak on days two and three and return to normal by day five. Fatigue is the slowest symptom to dissipate. Some of the risk factors for mastitis, engorgement and stasis, a decrease in suckling or pumping presents the potential for engorgement or milk stasis. That's why I said that it's really important that you continue your routine, whatever it is, to keep the engorgement from happening because then you're just making a bad problem worse. Stress and fatigue, cracked or fissured nipples or nipple pain, a breakdown of the skin provides an avenue of entry into the breast tissue. Although skin breakdown is not a prerequisite for breast infection, mastitis from sore cracked nipples does happen. Women with an abundant milk supply experience more plug ducts and potential mastitis over women with just a normal supply. The treatment for mastitis is definitely keep suckling or pumping. Moist heat increases the flow of milk. You want to increase your fluids. If you go to see your doctor, you know, he will probably prescribe an antibiotic. And then you want to take Tylenol or Ibuprofen if you have that achy flu-like feeling. Studies do show that untreated cases heal almost as fast as treated ones. So it's up to you if you feel like a visit to your doctor is in order. A small percentage of women develop abscesses from mastitis. An abscess, like a boil, is basically a collection of pus that must be drained. Sometimes these abscesses must be drained by your doctor and he will probably also prescribe you an antibiotic. Dermatosis of the breast, skin rashes and lesions on the nipple and areola complex and surrounding breast tissue are not uncommon, but can be particularly distressing if they are painful and can be difficult to diagnose. Eczema most commonly affects the areola. It can also be a chronic problem. In someone with a history of psoriasis, flare-ups involving the nipple are common because of irritation from latching and suckling. Then we have the milk blister or milk bleeb, a whitish tender area that develops on the upper areola. Nipple pore milk that has been sealed over by the skin, which then triggers an inflammatory response causing the milk blister. So the blister then prevents the duct from draining, so milk builds up behind the blister, causing symptoms of a clogged duct. 
The spot may be white or yellow, depending on how long you've had it. Milk blisters may be painful when suckling. It may also spontaneously heal. If it doesn't spontaneously heal, try rubbing the area with a damp cloth after softening the blister by soaking in warm water. With ice packs and over-the-counter medication like ibuprofen or Tylenol for possible pain relief and a topical antibiotic, suckling can continue and healing should be fairly rapid. Breast augmentation and reduction are becoming common surgical procedures. Augmentation is mostly done for cosmetic reasons and reduction, especially for large-breasted women, is often undertaken to reduce discomfort from the neck and back. The ability to lactate after these surgeries depends on the type of surgery. Generally speaking, full lactation and suckling with augmentation surgery is possible. The ability to suckle after breast reduction depends on what techniques your surgeon used. The two techniques used for breast reduction are pedicle and the free nipple technique. Reviewing literature on breast reduction indicates that nursing success rates following the use of the pedicle technique varied from 16% to 100%. Because the breast, its ducts, its blood supply, and some nerves remain intact. Nursing is possible after this procedure, but the success cannot be predicted with a certainty. The free nipple technique involves removing the nipple and areola entirely from the breast and preserving it in a saline solution. Nursing is possible with pedicle technique, but it's much less likely with the free nipple technique because the blood supply of the nipple and areola is completely severed and damages to the nerve can occur. If you plan on having breast reduction surgery, it's important for you to work closely with your plastic surgeon and you need to let him know if at some point you want to start lactating and he can discuss with you what your best options are. A breast lift is a cosmetic surgery that lifts sagging breasts. The breasts are uplifted and made firmer. This operation involves removing excess skin, breast tissue, and elevating the nipple. There might be a slight loss of sensation in the nipple or areola. The mastiopexy theoretically should not affect your ability to nurse. Then there's the augmentation. Breast augmentation is the most common and aesthetic surgical procedure in the U.S. And although augmentation supposedly has less impact on future lactation, compared with reduction mammoplasty, women who have undergone previous breast augmentation surgery have historically had great risk of lactation insufficiency as compared to women who have not had such surgery. I read a study that surveyed 26 women with augmentation surgery and found that only a third of them were successful with nursing. In addition to possible insufficient milk production, there are reports of galactorrhea, galactocell formation, which is also called a milk cyst. It is a retention cyst containing milk or a milky substance located in the mammary gland, as well as extreme engorgement that has been reported some occurring soon after surgery under the influence of birth control pills and some following pregnancy. So augmentation can lead to lactation related types of problems that you should be made aware of before your surgery. And these are all questions that you need to ask your doctor. How will it impact you? You know, what are the dangers or risk factors if you decide to start lactating? You know, all of that should be taken into account. Now, what are galactocells? 
Well, galactocells are milk-filled cysts in the lactating breast. It is the most common benign lesion of the lactating breast. They occur most often when milk is stagnant and retained within the breast, another reason why it's important to empty. The development of galactocells are thought to be an inflammation or infection-induced blockage of the mammary ducts. Needle aspiration is the most effective treatment for galactocells in most patients. Bleeding from the breast, like a red tinged pink or rusty colored breast milk is relatively rare, but it does occur. Dairy farmers report rusty milk from cows calving for the first time. And the term rusty pipe syndrome was first used in 1990 by Shelley Marmot at a La Leche conference. Marmot had worked with mothers whose milk appeared brown or rusty looking like rusty water from the pipes that hadn't been used for a long time. This syndrome usually appears during the early stages of lactogenesis and isn't associated with any discomfort. It is thought to be caused by increased vascularization of rapidly developing alveoli, which are easily traumatized, resulting in blood escaping into breast secretions. And just a quick mention, human milk comes in a variety of colors at times. Colostrum is typically bright yellow in color. Foremilk, which is the thinner milk that comes out first, can be bluish or, you know, bluish white while hind milk is thicker and a real creamy white color. It can be slightly green if you eat large amounts of green veggies or certain medications. It can be yellow if you eat foods high in beta carotene like carrots or sweet potatoes. Brightly colored foods such as beets when you eat in large amounts can also tent the milk. And I've seen pictures of milk where the color changed to accommodate baby for colds and infections. I wouldn't be too alarmed if you notice a different like tinge or color to your milk because that's perfectly normal. It's when it starts to get, you know, reddish color or that rusty pipe color that there could be something that needs to be looked at. Okay, so let's recap. Breastfeeding knowledge prevents problems that can become common barriers to suckling and nursing. A woman's feminine identity is closely related to her breasts. Any changes or issues, including those due to illness, disease, or nursing, hold an emotional significance. Inverted nipples need not impede nursing, provided a woman receives accurate information and assistance in learning effective intervention techniques. The degree of inversion typically lessens as nursing continues. The size and length of nipples vary greatly among women and are genetically influenced. Reoccurring plugged milk ducts plague some women while others never experience them. There is no conclusive evidence that shows one particular cause for this problem, but it is commonly thought that a constricting bra, poor nutrition, stress, and an inadequately drained breast are contributing factors. A red tender spot in the breast that is warm to the touch characterizes a plugged milk duct. This lump can have well-defined margins that occur close to the surface of the skin or can be located deeper in the breast. A breast infection or mastitis may or may not be the result of a plugged duct. The condition is characterized by symptoms of a plugged duct but will include flu-like muscular aching and a fever. 
A milk blister can cause extreme pain when the epidermis seals over the ductal opening and prevents milk from draining. If this blockage does not resolve naturally, it is possible to manually remove the excess skin to promote healing. Breast augmentation is now commonplace in the US society. Silicone gel is again being used for breast implants, as many as 60% of augmentations today. Breast augmentation is less likely to impede nursing rather than breast reduction, but insufficient milk volume is a problem for many women following such a surgery. A breast lump in a lactating woman is typically caused by a galactocell, a milk-filled lacteal cyst. Although seldom malignant, a lump that does not resolve itself should be biopsied. Okay, so that's just some of the things that can affect your breast while you're lactating and things to keep an eye on so that they don't get out of hand or out of control. Because the last thing you want is to try and enjoy a suckling session while you have pain in your breast. That's no fun. So now we've come to the end of the podcast. And the winner for this week's giveaway is Ghost Rider 498 If you want to shoot me an email with your address, I'll be more than happy to send this stuff out for you. Thanks for joining my conversation and I hope you have a great day.